Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. As we are now on the cusp of reopening, whatever that may look like, the tension between public health and public wealth persists. And the only attention really that business and communities are giving to the day-to-day -day is the tactical and the practical. So now what? I'm Chris William and welcome again to the most widely watched source of Carolina business, policy, and public affairs seen across the Carolinas for almost 30 years now. And later on in the program, we go to the front line, so to speak. We have the chief executive officer of one of the largest healthcare providers here in the Carolinas. Carl Armato joins us, and we hope you stay with us for the entire dialogue. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Gene Davis of MCNC, Michelle Abraham from the South Carolina Small Business Development Centers, and special guest, Carl Armato, President and CEO of Novant Health. Welcome again to our dialogue, this time virtual. Normally we are in the studio, uh, but like everyone else, there is a new reality and we are embracing that. Joining us now from her office, from her home office in the Midlands of South Carolina and Columbia is Michelle Abraham, the director of the South Carolina Small Business Development Centers. And also from her office in RTP in North Carolina is Jean Davis, the president and chief executive officer of MCNC Ladies. Uh, welcome to the dialogue and glad to see that you are, in fact, uh, practicing safe distancing and staying in place, at least. Jean, let me start with you. Uh, one of the dialogues that has come out of this is, is about this whole idea of rural broadband and what that means for a lot of people is it means high speed connectivity, even in the most rural parts of North and South Carolina. Does this idea now, does this make, would you be surprised if the General Assembly at least in your state in North Carolina, did not more fully fund the deployment of broadband? Yes, I think this pandemic has laid bare these issues that we've been having for years. And the issue that we have in North Carolina uh, really has to do with rural residential connectivity. The idea that kids now at home who are meant to be doing remote learning don't have a connection at home, or rural elderly patients who could avail themselves of telemedicine services have no way to get connected to our, to our amazing 
health system. Mm -hmm. And so rural legislators, of course, are going to look at that and see my communities being left behind. I've got to do something about this. So I do expect there to be increased funding for programs that really work on that last mile issue that we have in North Carolina, uh, more funding for telemedicine programs, and um, you know, just a lot more effort made to creating uh, good legislation, uh, improving some of our laws that allow for more flexibility around local communities doing something about broadband, broadband in their towns. Gene, how, does, how would you handicap the idea that anything that like this could easily, and it has been a political debate back and forth in terms uh, a little bit more partisan. Would you expect, though, that it would stay fast-tracked? Would you expect that legislators will still see this as a priority enough to move it along? I think so. I mean, you know, this conversation that everyone seems to be having, op-eds in the paper, calls to legislators that I know that they're getting, I really do think that this crisis will push people at a much quicker rate to try to solve this problem. And it's gonna need real public-private partnerships. There's no way to do this without everybody involved. Telecom companies, the government, local champions, it's gonna take everybody chipping in to get this solved. Michelle, um, let's talk about small business because clearly that's been the focus for a lot. It seems like the pain is most focused right there. Give us a sense, uh, and I know you could spend a lot of time doing this, but if you can, give us a sense of, of the tone, the tenor, the emotion that's going on around small business in the Palmetto State right now. Well, I, what we're seeing, and we're seeing this all over the country, not just here in South Carolina, but um, you know, this has been a huge shock, and everybody has been just trying to figure out what to do. There's been a lot of confusion, a lot of information that has been continually changing. And, um, you know, when people are losing their entire livelihood, they're upset, they're frustrated, they're frightened. And so, you know, we have tried to be there to be the person that can listen and help them figure out what are the next steps? How do we move through this and start to recover and rebuild our businesses? I, and I know it's not enough, but is the is the response from Congress, from the State House, uh, and Gene, in your case, of course, Raleigh and, and the General Assembly. But Michelle, is is the response adequate enough to push enough of these monies out to help them through whatever we're going to see in the in the intermediate term? Well, I wish I had a crystal ball to give you the answer to that. I mean, certainly when you look at the amount of uh, financial support that has been provided by Congress and by a lot of the states and, and other organizations as well, it's, it's unprecedented. And it's certainly making a difference. Whether it is going to help everybody out there to rebuild, probably not. But then... Uh, you know, the hope is that people are going to take it from here, be innovative, be um, persevere through it, and, and really try to rebuild from it. And I think we've got that spirit in this country that people are, as, as much as we can get pushed down, we're resilient, we rise back up. And I think a lot of people will rebuild, maybe not exactly in the same way they have in the past, but um, it'll be a, a new normal for us. Gene, so Michelle talks a little bit about, use the term innovate, and so we can't turn away from the idea that uh, 
these are, are these opportune times for startups, for new ventures, for, for small businesses that didn't even exist a month ago to all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but to show up and start emerging? Yeah, I do think, you know, we have an entrepreneurial spirit in America. So I do think that there are plenty of, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, small businesses who are going to see this as an opportunity to really um, get out the ideas that they have, um, try to find some of this federal funding to keep their ideas alive now and launch them when things improve. Um, you know, we've always been that kind of a, a society and community. So I do think that uh, it won't be long before people are um, getting new ideas onto the market and it has created a lot of disruption and mm -hmm. I know that uh, innovation comes from that. Michelle, do you see the same thing? The entrepreneur? Um, yeah, we did see that after the last recession and I do think that will happen. I don't think it's going to be prominent for quite a while yet. I think people still need to try to figure other things out before they go out and take a chance of building a, a new business, but I do think it will come. There's been, there's been a lot of back and forth about the public health and the public wealth version of this and what, which one wins, the, the pull and the tug. And Gene, do you, is there any concern, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is there any concern that we might be getting out over the tips of our skis about pushing reopening in hopes of, of, of generating revenue? Uh, sure. I mean, I think that, you know, as, as, as a CEO of a small business in the middle of Research Triangle Park, we're asking ourselves, do we know enough about um, testing our employees? Uh, you know, do we take their temperature? Where do we get a test? How soon could we get back to work? Um, that really make it hard for us to balance that. And I think that businesses still uh, need and want to know how best to proceed. This is a massive undertaking, I think, in terms of public health, the stimulus, I mean, I think there's a lot still in the works. And so um, I think business owners need a certain uh, degree of surety around how to proceed. Uh, and most of us are pretty cautious about this because our staff is our most important asset and we care about our community and we wanna do the right thing. The Small Business Development Center networks around the country, that's one of the big things now that we're beginning to uh, really focus on with small businesses is to help them put together that forward plan, how to reopen, how to protect their employees, how to protect their customers, what kinds of things they need to do to, to make that reopening um, stand and work effectively. Uh, ladies, thank you. Please stay with us. Uh, joining us now from his home office is someone at the front of the fight, so to speak. He is the chief executive officer of one of the largest healthcare systems in the country, but certainly here in the Carolinas, we welcome uh, from Novant Health, CEO Carl Armando. Carl, welcome to the program. You look happy, you look healthy. Uh, I'm assuming you're doing okay. I am, I'm doing great, uh, Chris. It's obviously a trying time for uh, uh, all of us, but uh, I will tell you that uh, I'm proud of the Novant Health people and the way we've responded to, uh, to fight the pandemic. Carl, you know, you, you talk about the associates at Novant Health uh, that, that number in the tens of thousands, and it's certainly a big organization. When you look broadly across what has been the front and center industry around COVID-19 healthcare, you've got hospitals, of course, you've got payers, which are the insurance companies, you've got the, the state uh, offices like the governor, DHHS, et cetera, et cetera. Have those barriers of competitiveness dropped? 
And what is the cooperation among all who normally will sometimes compete in a pretty healthy way? What does that look like now? Well, you know, the one thing, Chris, I'll start out with is uh, Novant Health and all of our um, uh, other healthcare uh, organizations across the Carolinas, we've always had emergency preparedness plans and we've always worked together to practice and prepare for those plans. Uh, whether that be hurricanes or Ebola or other, um, you know, different kinds of incidences. But I'll tell you, this particular pandemic um, really challenged, I believe, every healthcare system across the country. Uh, and, and it took a unique way of our collaboration to really get at figuring out how we were going to come together in a unique way to prepare. And I, and I really believe when I look at particularly not only Novant Health, but working with all other healthcare organizations across the Carolinas, it's been that cooperation that's really helped battle the front line across the Carolinas and protect our, you know, our communities and actually save lives. So for example, you know, from the first patient in China, we didn't wait until you know, we had COVID-19 in our communities. You know, we started working together on modeling, and that's a great example. You know, we took the University of Pennsylvania's model and other models that were happening across the, the Carolinas, and we put those together and started to really work on a predictive modeling and AI capability that I think helped all of us be able to plan. And uh, I know we've done that with all of our uh, other healthcare organizations across the Carolinas, and that's been helpful in the preparing and I believe it, it's really helped us uh, save lives in, in the long run. You know, Carl, let's go to that. And I'm going to open it up, let Gene and, and Michelle jump in here in a second. But one more question on this. Um, has there been any model that you can look, any historic model that you can look back to say, well, this is how the protocols worked before. This is what we ought to adopt now or is it starting from scratch? Well, I tell you what, it was starting from scratch for us. I mean, just looking at not only uh, treatment protocols, but how we were gonna, the utilization of our personal protective equipment, the utilization of our med surge uh, beds and our uh, intensive care beds, the, the utilization of ventilators. And, but the modeling that we came up with actually helped us to predict what would happen. And I'll tell you, there was a factor when we started uh, really modeling the social distancing and the physical distancing on our communities. And we did this community by community, county by county, to look at how that modeling would really impact um, the growth and the need for hospital utilization. And, and Chris, it's been amazing how that curve started uh, very steep and how it, we flattened the curve on the number of hospital uh, admissions and utilizations. Uh, which is that that to me it was a big help in in how we got through this. Jean, question? Yeah, I mean, you know, for us, um, you know, we've, we've had our network up and running throughout this entire crisis. And as I was mentioning earlier, um, the telemedicine part of our network is our second largest user. And so we've been really busy in helping get upgrades for hospitals, getting new connections to public health clinics. And so uh, we've absolutely seen um, the power of what um, technology and telemedicine can do to flatten that curve. Is there a question for Carl, Gene? Uh, well, you know, I'm interested in knowing about your rural um, um, sites and how you have kind of 
um, work to bring telemedicine to those communities and what that's been like. Is, was that ready? Have you found any specific um, issues to solve during this uh, quick crisis? Well, I got to tell you, the, the telemedicine uh, investments that we've made over the years has been uh, a real blessing, particularly, particularly during this pandemic. I was thinking about um, the investments that we made in the electronic health record that include the investment in telemedicine with video visits, e-visits, and all of that gets recorded in the medical record. And I'll, I'll just share with you, you know, we probably started out before the pandemic where we would have had probably 250 to 300 physicians that were actively engaged in telemedicine regularly. And now I'm proud to tell you that we've got 2,500 that are very good at telemedicine. And so when you mentioned the rural healthcare, that's really, when I think about some of our outlying facilities, that's really their, their venue into a lot of subspecialties, a lot of specialty care, behavioral health, mental health, I mean, all of that. And we, we had a great platform and a foundation for that. And I think all we've done now is enhance that. And I think it's here to stay. That's the other thing I'm really proud of is I think you'll see as we come out of the pandemic, this will be a way that we connect with our, our uh, consumers now and our patients for a very long time. You know, just for example, if you look at the number of patients that we connect with each and every day, it's over a million patients that are active MyChart users that connect with us uh, via their electronic capability. So I think that's gonna continue to grow. Michelle, question? In the Carolinas, the SBDC networks have been active in working with the federal and state government for disasters like hurricanes for years. And so a lot of those support services we've done in the past, I think the difference here is the order of magnitude and the additional health concerns with a pandemic that you didn't have before. So we've been able to really build on a core program and services that were well established and trying to add these additional services that will help people with the new kinds of issues they're dealing with when you're going through a pandemic. And do you have a question for Carl, please? Um, how, how do you see, Carl, the, the public um, being able to get back to normal activities um, and maintain or protect their health. Yeah, you know, I, I never thought we could shut down um, the economy and businesses and um, for forever and, and for as long, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, maybe we need to wait until there's a vaccine or maybe we need to come out of this and uh, until we're really sure we can cure everyone. and. Um, I think when you look at the impact, and, and this is where I started to uh, change my, my thoughts on it, is that I was looking at the people that were not accessing healthcare today. Um, and we started to see a pretty significant growth in um, cardiac events and strokes for people that might have, could have had uh, prevention earlier with wellness and, and other uh, uh, opportunities. So I, I'm really concerned that we obviously have to open up. Uh, now we have to do it in a, in a slow and a methodical way, but here's where I, I think we, we actually started drafting up policies and, and procedures to start helping businesses and uh, our communities open up. So for example, 
Novant Health is coming out with a masking campaign for all. And, um, you know, I, I have a, a chart I was looking at that we're going to, you're going to see that we're going to send out across the Carolinas, but it shows that a COVID-19 carrier that is not masked, that comes in contact with a person who is masked, there's a 70% chance of uh, contagion uh, probability to, to ha occur. But as you go down and you look, if a COVID-19 carrier has a mask, and even if someone that is not COVID-19 uh, currently does not have a mask, there's only a 5% probability of transfer. And then we started looking at if both the COVID-19 carrier and someone who doesn't have it is, uh, has a mask and wears a mask, um, the contagion probability is less than 1.5%. So I think you're gonna see us really emphasize uh, social distancing, physical distancing. You're gonna see us look at how we're already redesigning our healthcare facilities. And I'm gonna encourage businesses to look at that really that flow of how consumers come in, how they, they really interact inside their, their operations. Uh, masking, uh, sanitizing, you know, and all, all of those things that I think are going to be needed, including enhanced disinfecting and all of that. But I, I really am now not only focused on having Novant Health ready to not only deal with COVID-19, but we've got to help our communities and our businesses reopen. Carl, Carl I remember this early, and this just kind of happenstance came up, but early on in, the, in, early in March, I was having a casual conversation with a doctor about this crisis and the doctor said something pretty prophetic. It, it was a she and she said to me, we can't work from home. She said, we shouldn't work from home. That's the oath we took. So this idea of the acute always on nature now of the healthcare worker has got to take a toll on mental health. How do you deal with that internally? Yeah, I, I will tell you, so Chris, you're highlighting the real heroes of of this pandemic. When I think about the physicians, um, the APPs, the, the nurses, all, all of our providers, all that support staff, those in environmental services and food services that are, have to be on the front lines each and every day, they're the heroes of this, of this pandemic. But here's what I think um, happens during a pandemic. We, and it happens regardless if you look at the way they're stressed in their normal course of business, and this just adds a whole lot and a whole different layer of, of stress to, to that work environment. I think it, it does come down to communication. It comes down to transparency. It comes down to interaction and making sure we understand what's going on. So, for example, you know, we at Novant, we've been doing this one-hour um, uh, Zoom meeting across the entire organization, 30,000 people. And we update with our clinical experts, uh, myself and other executive team members, but we leave 30 minutes just to hear from our people. What is it is that they're dealing with on the front lines and how do we make sure we're protecting them in this process? And so early on, you know, we were really aggressive with getting the personal protective equipment that they needed. And we stayed focused on, on them. So for example, their financial hardships that people might be experiencing. We created, now we have about $11 million in a fund that we contributed to as executives in addition to Novant Health putting money in it to, to address all these unmet healthcare, I mean, these, un, uh, these financial hardships that people are dealing with. And so I, I will tell you that um, the other thing that helped us tremendously, I think, was having um, 
what I call a, a unique uh, way to connect with our physicians and providers in this process. We actually have um, a way where we dedicated a doctor that just deals with their personal well-being. And we had set that up years ago, and now we've doubled down on it to be there for our physicians in this time of need. We have about two minutes left, Jean, Michelle, and I want to get this question in, so excuse me for jumping in line here in front of you, but Carl, I want to, I want to come back to now the Carolinas are seriously looking at reopening, whatever that looks like. Some of the beaches are open, some other businesses are opening. Do you worry about that? Well, I, I do, because I think we've got to, we have to be smart about it, Chris, and I, I do believe we've got to make sure that we're still continuing to follow the governor's you know, uh, social distancing and physical distancing directive. Uh, I think that's really important right now. I, I tell you what, I do believe we have accomplished because we have done a great job across the Carolinas and adhering to those policies, we have flattened the curve. I mean, when you look at all the different models, um, they, they really truly look like we've done a remarkable job at helping healthcare organizations not be overwhelmed. Well, now I think we need to open up, but we need to open up smartly and we need to just make sure we're adhering to the guidelines that I think are gonna come out at, at the different state levels. And we need to make sure we're paying attention to those guidelines. And I think if we do that, I'm confident that we can get back to people having a new normal that might be a little different than what people are used to, but it's a little more you, you know, uh, in a normal uh, opening that people can get comfortable with. Carl, thanks for your leadership during this. Uh, our, our congratulations to your team. And I, I want to shout out MUSC and Prisma and UNC Health, Atrium, Cohen, et cetera, et cetera, and all of them working together. But thank you for representing the industry so well, and please stay safe. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Gene, nice to see you again. Thanks for taking time to join us. And Michelle as well. Uh, we hope uh, the best to you and your constituents as well. But thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Until next week, I am Chris William. Be safe, and thanks for watching. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Barings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.